What's going on? It's CJ the Day Slayer from the Upgrade America podcast. This is the season one wrap up episode. This is episode 52. Uh, I'm pretty sure you heard the sponsored ad for Anchor. It's the first time we're trying this, so bear with us. And we're going to leave you with three black history facts. Jack Johnson, named the Galveston Giant, was the first. African American world heavyweight boxing champion. Check him out. Do your Google. You might find some interesting things on this gentleman. One of the least talked about things is the Ghana race riot in December 24th and 25th of 1944 took place in Ghana, Guam as a result of internal disputes between white and black U.S. Marines. The riot is one of the most serious incidents between African-American and white military personnel in the United States Armed Forces during World War II. And last but not least, May Carol Jameson, born October 17, 1956, is an American physician and NASA astronaut. She became the first black American woman to enter space when she served on the crew of the Space Shuttle Endeavor in September of 1992. So we're going to leave another link for you guys to respond to us on the podcast. We're trying this out as well. This is something new, so bear with us. I want to send a special shout out to Spain and Sweden for joining our podcast listeners. Thank you. Enjoy the program and peace. Season two is coming up next week. This is the moment we've all been waiting for. I'm Cameron Ra, host and executive producer of. Hold on. This is really my. Upgrade America, the greatest show on earth. Here with CJ the Day Slayer, and you are in for a treat. Some real great entertainment. Yo, if you could give us a frame of that. That Negro Leagues t-shirt. Yes, sir. Boom, boom. Yo, throughout Black History, CJ has been rocking a lot of really great t-shirts, but we weren't capturing them. That's why I really want to make sure we get a piece of that. But how you feeling today, bro? I'm feeling excellent. We also going to put the uh, link for the where I get the shirts from if you want to get them. I think I put it before, but I'll put it back in there. They're really cool. Takes about a week to get your shirt, depending on where you're at. Week and a half. Oh yeah, and Cameron Rogers is yeah. available. We're gonna have a new Upgrade America logo coming out, and we're gonna start pushing more Upgrade America swag too. So look forward to those dropping soon as well. But man, so much to talk about this week. No. It's been nuts, and it's still developing. News is coming out as we go. So for um, people who are just tuning into the show. What we do, we review movies, we review sports, 
and you know political topics as well today we're going to be reviewing Candyman and Chris you're going to be talking about well say again for sports I think you're oh I'm going to actually be talking about the Negro Leagues it's a very colorful history and yeah. I think I'm going to look forward to that they actually have a museum so you know get yeah. shout out to that museum as well now um we're also going to be addressing uh, black activists uh groups like uh the most famous is what uh, black lives matter currently but we're going to be talking about the history of the black panthers i believe cj is going to be touching on um malcolm x and uh, a few other power- powerful figures in the black community you're gonna get a coronavirus update there's yeah. a lot of news, a lot to discuss. Something we're gonna give it, give it a shot. It's a little two-minute breakdown. We're gonna try to give you some of these snippets in like two minutes or less, and keep that ball rolling. Have you got any opening remarks? Uh, yeah. Oh, we're also gonna talk a little bit about the U.S. Census that's starting this month in April, I believe. Oh yeah. What else are we talking about here? I think. Yeah, I think we laid it all out. So I hope you guys enjoyed. Thank you for listening, liking, sharing, subscribing. So we appreciate it. Well, let's get into that candy man. All right. Candy man, candy man. Okay, here we go. You ready? Give me one moment. I'm going to go on a full screen. Okay. And fire away. Say his name five times. Yo, this joint used to scare me, the old one. Yeah, um, oh, the, that's why I'm curious how they're gonna mix down a new one. Did you ever do the, the Candyman ritual? Hell no, nah, I got to maybe three to stop. I've never I'm been the Candyman like, one, but uh, I did the Bloody Mary one with some friends when I was younger, like seven or something. It's kind of creepy. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. And I heard the director is, she's 29, black female. Cool. They actually directed it, but Jordan Peele produced it. So we want to give that shout out to her. For her. I think it's her first major film or whatever. Now, while we mentioned before that a lot of black people were not in sci-fi, really connected to this. we have some very uh, significant contributions for And that's why I, I'm a fan of this. Yeah, and I think, I think the thing is that only thing I didn't like about Blacks and Whores, we always tend to die first. Yeah, but that's when we are in other people's horror flicks. Now when we make our own, I suppose, yeah, we do tend to die first. Yeah. In the Black people. But yeah, you make a very valid point. Now, what are your thoughts on the supernatural in general? Do you believe? It's hard for me not to believe in, in some of the spirituality and because it's all related to science and physics too. Yeah, no doubt. So yeah, I would say I believe in some forms of it, like ghosts and spirits and stuff like that, because I grew up with that around me. Like my grandmother's very hypersensitive to this kind of stuff. My mother too. So I've seen it all the press, but I'm not saying I don't believe. Uh-huh. Just, uh, I've never had a first-hand experience had with that. Yeah, I can say that, yes. Uh, this looks good, though. I'm definitely going to check this out. Yeah, definitely want to support this show. And the fact that it's in Chicago, it's pretty dope, too. Oh, wow, I did not know that. 
Yeah, like the original is based out of Chicago. So they're in Chicago. Yeah, right. It looked like it's like he's reincarnated. This guy is getting the spirit from the old one or something. So June, yeah, that look, that's dropping in June. All right, cool. Yeah, that looks good. Man, got me giving, gave me a little heebie-jeebies a little bit. So you got the chills? <laughs> yeah, man, that stuff, you know. Yeah, man. <laughs> I'll check that out. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely want to see that. So it's just that um, I'm getting into the whole uh, film thing, and I, I'm just wondering why they wouldn't line that release with, like, Halloween or, you know, like, why they wouldn't drop it in October or something. I think because it's predictable. And think about it. Most movies that come out in June, July, or mm-hmm. like budget action movies or something like that. So to drop it in in June is kind of fascinating. I've noticed like Fast and the Furious always drops like in April. But I think you're right, and you maybe it's, it's another thing they have to compete with horrors that are dropping on. Um, so yeah, so t- strategically that that is smart. But yeah, I would like to uh, see that film and learn a little bit more about the director. Sounds cool. Um, the next thing, and I like Jordan Peele. I like his mindset. Um, mm-hmm. I, he's made, even though I didn't like Us, I'll be honest. Um, I love Get Out, and I think I'll like this one. But they've been doing very well, and they're a small budget, like, I guess, film company. And that's what makes it even more spectacular is you're making this quality. It comes down to storytelling. At the end of the day, it's all about storytelling. Yes, so indeed. That's what I really enjoy about those films. I'm also going to buy that program, Final Draft, so I can get to working on my screen. Finally. I know, bro. Well, I got to play on the keyboard, man. That's what I'm Yeah, because I remember you've been writing. um, You let me read uh, some of your works back in, like, what, 2005, 2006? (laughs) Yeah, I still got them. Okay, he's a writer. But, yeah, if you don't use it, you lose it. I'm glad you're getting back into that. Yeah, I got so many ideas swirling around. I got to go ahead and put them out, start fishing them. Like, to, I'm, I want to fish them out, see if we can get them on screen. In know? the meantime, write them down in your notepad on your phone. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know I've you're been, uh, coming up with ideas like every day. You just got to, yeah. You know, you can grow on them later. But yeah, that's awesome, man. We kind of want to discuss the coronavirus. All right, get into it. A little update. On that, can you give us uh, some, some latest news on there? I got some headlines I want to rattle off, but if you could give us a brief update. Well, how about you do that, sir? And then I'll fill it. No doubt. So, um, <laughs> fair enough. Let's go to it because there's a lot going on with the coronavirus. So, I'm just going off of headlines that was coming through my feed. I know the Pope was dealing with some people, and then I do believe afterwards he showed some signs of it. I don't have a status update on his current health, but mm-hmm. it just goes to show that um, everyone's being affected by this. I want to mm-hmm. say two leaders in Iran, they gotten the virus. But yeah, I had heard about that. So what we're going to do is, um, you know how we do. We do it live and indirect. So... I'm going to Google that so we can find out these uh, leaders in Iran affected by coronavirus. Oops. 
There we go. Because I want to get the exact scoop. Okay, so it says Iran vice president is one of the seven officials contracted who to contract the coronavirus. What does that tell you about heads of state that they're you know they're supposed to be insulated from you know from from germs that well from all threats and you know they're they're getting touched by this and I'm going to feed into the conspiracy that okay. this is a biological weapon you know but um yeah I, that's wild what are your thoughts on that well you gotta think heads of t- heads of state are dealing with regular people they're dealing with other diplomats so human contact is still involved in doing your job so yes, that really surprised me to be honest um it does surprise me because again you're we're talking about right now the spread of it i say is relatively small like the number of cases are relatively small so it's like only a few people got it, and one of the few people who have gotten it is uh, our heads of state in Iran. But again, you know, I'm a, I'm a conspiracy nut job. Matter okay. But yeah, that's just my thoughts. Let me see what else we got on here for that. Blah, blah, blah. Think, we talked about the folk and leaders. Okay, so then let's get this headline, and then mm-hmm. we'll read more uh, conspiracy uh, seeds into it but at the same time we encourage our listeners to do your due diligence and form your own thoughts because yeah. too many people are allowing other people to do the thinking for you you have to think and come to your own conclusions don't listen to crazy people on the internet like me you need to uh, do your <laughs> research and you know don't just take what's being spoon fed to you so leader in South Korea Gotcha. And it's the medical leader who was handling the um, the outbreak. Mm-hmm. Killed themselves. Oh. Side. Well, I can imagine like all our brothers and sisters in arms in South Korea. All oh, that's on lockdown. No, no, I'm talking about the person who's handling coronavirus. No, I'm talking about the effects of this. That's what I'm saying. Like the fact that they don't, they're not even doing the joint exercise. They shut all that shit down. Um, a buddy of mine, his wife is stuck in Korea. Mm. She, I do believe she was getting out of the military, but like uh-huh. she, somehow she's, she's stuck there. Okay, so South Korean leader said coronavirus would disappear. I think this is a person they're saying that. Don't there's all these headlines are coming up about the doomsday church. I'm gonna get into that too. That's pretty wild. Like, um, I don't know if people are up to date, but there is a church in South Korea that's like linked to 60% of the coronavirus spreading in that country, and it's wild. They're like they have churches all over the world, but the leader, uh, I do believe he proclaims himself to be. Christ reincarnated and he's going to take what? 194,000 people with him to heaven or something like that. It's wild. Like, yeah, I sent, it was in the link that I sent you. And I'm yeah, going to yeah, put yeah. these links also in, um, how do you say, in the comments so people can, again, do your own due diligence. Don't listen to me. You know, you got to find this for yourself. But um, I can't seem to be finding that. I know it's just because I'm phrasing it wrong 
Either way, we'll skip that headline. If I find it, I'll put the links in the description. All right, that'll work. What else is popping with the coronavirus, man? Okay, so yeah, let's go to that one. Korean Doomsday Church Cult. That's wild. South Korea. Doomsday. Okay, this is it. From businessinsider.com. And while I'm on the, the subject of free thinking and forming your own thoughts, mm-hmm. like you can't even take uh, businessinsider.com word for word, you know? And I guess, yo, yo, CJ, we've been talking about what we want to do in the future with this podcast. And I think it's going to, and we mentioned traveling and doing traveling reviews, and I'm definitely doing some wrestling reviews. But like, <laughs> we, I want to incorporate journalism, like really getting the raw story, you know? Yeah. And just getting that live and, and getting it out there so people can make <clears throat> make their own conclusions. But yeah. yeah, so I'm on here. It says followers of a doomsday church that was linked to South Korea's coronavirus outbreak were meeting in Wuhan until December. So the doomsday church that is at heart of Seoul's South Korea's. And this is a, they have an abbreviation for the coronavirus, COVID-19 crisis, was holding prayer sermons in Wuhan, China, where the illness originated until December. About 200 members of the Sinchonji, and I probably butchered that, Church of Jesus met at the epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak and mostly ignored rumors of the illness that began to swirl as early as November. A kindergarten teacher told the South Korea, told the South China Morning Post, and um, so it's a this is a really um, it's a wild article, but um, I'm just want to get the the meat and the potatoes from here. An estimate of 200. Yeah, yeah, we got that part. I want to get this part where you're, they're talking about their leader. Mm-hmm. So those calls be a trip, bro. So they said a super spreader event involving a 61-year-old woman at the church's Daegu. Have you been to Daegu? Nah, that's a uh, Daegu. Why does it sound familiar? I want to say we've been to Daegu. Daegu. Huh? I, I want to say we've been to Daegu. Did we? Hey, parties out there. I don't recall. But okay. this was like, again, this is early 2000. So not recently. So the... Da, 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 but yeah. The tests, uh, I can't find the part that I was looking for. And the days since the discovery of patient 31, 200,000 South Korean members of the doomsday cult have been tested for the coronavirus. A health official leading the charge in Daegu's fight against COVID tested positive for the virus and only then acknowledge that he is a member of the church cult. So let me say that again. (laughs) A health official leading the charge in Daegu's fight against the virus, tested positive for the virus, and only then acknowledge that he too is a member of the church cult. 
that caused 50 medical officials to be quarantined alongside of him. Wow. So, branded as a cult. Okay, I think this is where, where it gets... It could go on and on, because this is this is really a... It sounds like something from a sci-fi movie. And maybe that's why I'm reading this like it's a sci-fi novel, but um, I'll, I'll put this link in there because it's it, it will really make you... I don't want to say go down the conspiracy uh, rabbit hole. Um, yeah. Well, let me see what else is on here. So there's a, another article going out by Forbes that's saying pretty much like this is, I don't want to say an arms race, but a race to get a cure for this virus to make a vaccine. The first company that comes up with this, they're probably going to make trillions. But um, it, it's sad, but the, the article in Forbes was suggesting that it may only be available for the wealthy. And that is sparking a lot of controversy and a need for medic Medicaid for all. I right, said so my thoughts about that. I am not for it. But I'm not here to talk healthcare. But at the same time, um, it, it is really controversial when you're talking about an epidemic. But there, there, the cure may only be available for a select few. And as I mentioned, in times when we're talking about the. Uh, the emergence of self-driving cars and technology that can displace people like this is it's sounding like population control and if yeah. you think look if you look at the exponential growth it's like yeah it's only like what i believe it has a one percent death rate mm-hmm. but at the same time the way it's spreading it's almost exponential and if you don't know about exponents like if this keeps the same trend for 13 months, it could potentially hit 1.3 billion people. It could affect 1.3 billion people. And then you gotta think, what's 1% off of 1.3 billion? It's like, we're talking about what? It would essentially kill like, not 100 million. Somewhere in there. Yeah, I think it would kill 100 million. So that's like one nation well, maybe, maybe, maybe. 10 million if you're talking one percent that 1% sounds off of one billion oh yeah 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 okay i got it now i had to put the zeros in my head i'm not a math genius on this one. Uh, <laughs> I, I shouldn't even be doing public math because i know i probably feel <laughs> to carry the zero or something like that yeah. really look at the charts and like i said if you see i believe they said in fact again let's not speculate let's look up let's get some real data okay I'm going to type in Corona growth rate. That should do it. Corona virus growth rate. So like everything you want is on the internet. You just need to know how to talk to it to get the right things. And that's sometimes I can't figure out how to look for things. I can't find it. So let's look at Growth of new coronavirus feels questions. I want to chart. I don't want to hear about it. I want to chart. And so I'm going to look under images, coronavirus growth rate chart. Wow. And I hope this is not it because that's when you see a chart that goes up like that, that indicates <laughs> exponential growth. And that's what it's looking like. 
right here. So they're saying January. Let me see if I can make this larger. January 2017. So they measured it within a couple days. Okay, in a couple days, it, it from January 17th to January 29th. They went mm -hmm. wrong. And I could be seeing this, reading this wrong, but it's looking like it went from 50 <laughs> to 20,000. So I, I think I'm totally reading that wrong, but I'll put that graph in there because I hope that's wrong. It would be very bad if it, if it went to uh, do that far. The thing is, I can't really see this chart because it's small. Anyways, I'm um, not here to talk uh, charts and graphs, but I'll slide that in. You can draw your own conclusion. But yeah, I, I only bring that up to say like, um, if it's spreading on epidemic proportions and only a few people can provide the cure, that's or, or you know purchase secure rather it's it's not it's not good i would say they would have a lot to worry about actually because they might be insulated by wealth but mm -hmm. there's more people than wealth if that makes sense than wealthy people yes yeah point. so if panic ensued or chaos ensued they're pretty much the first targets besides each other. But I think with the climate we're in now, they'll definitely be the first targets because of the wealth gap and wealth inequality and all that good stuff going on. Yeah, it won't look good for them. So like, let me ask you this though. Okay. You're talking about um, in China right now, they're quarantining. They're doing this by force, not yeah. voluntary. In America, they're still doing voluntary. You can, they're, People are volunteering to uh, be quarantined, but would an incident like this mm -hmm. in initiate absolute martial law? No, um, they gotta be, I can see them trying to do it. Mm -hmm. They gotta be very strategic because you gotta remember we are armed. We're not like a lot of other countries. Our yes, citizens are. are armed. So yes, it's more guns than people. What does that tell you? <laughs> like, well, again, with biological warfare raging, that population count could diminish. Yes. Which and that alone is going to instill uh, fear. And people, yeah. I think there's fear. People demand um, ways to to reduce that, and they sacrifice a, a great deal of liberties to get comfortable. But, I don't know, man. I just know it'd be very tricky here in America doing that shit. Oh yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. But that's what I got on coronavirus. You got any updates on that? I'm gonna, like, um, I'm gonna slide the 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 data in there. Okay. Yeah. You know. Um, real quick, confirmed cases in it looks like one Texas, Nevada, California. That oh looks like yeah, the first death was eight. in um the first death was in Seattle or Washington State. Yeah, uh, it looks like Illinois and is that Minnesota and it looks like Massachusetts. Uh, what state is that? Michigan. Mm. So 
it looks like Michigan and Illinois have a confirmed case as of yesterday. This is Wikipedia, so you know that's kind of like a public uh, open source encyclopedia, just okay. so you got it. But it's just for quick research. So yeah, okay, Massachusetts, Illinois, Michigan, Washington State, you got California, Nevada, and Texas so far. Those are confirmed cases. Suspected cases are in, um, looks like Oregon. Uh, let's see, my geography is getting Minnesota, Staten, not Nebraska, but what is that? Yeah, I thought they had confirmed cases Say again. I thought they had confirmed cases in New Jersey and New York. Nah, not not what I'm saying. Interesting. At least on, at least on this uh, on Wikipedia right now, and this is it's current yesterday. So, what I guess what's interesting is if you're an investor, this is a good time to invest. The way the stock market's been dropping. Mm. So I'm just throwing that out to all my investors out there. Well, you have to throw out the disclaimer that we are not financial advisors. What nope. you need to do with your hard-earned money is <laughs> your responsibility. Do not listen to crazy people on the internet like me. <laughs> or me. But here's what you got to consider about bull markets. Don't get me started because I'm a crypto investor and I dabble in stocks as well. But like right now we're entering into what is it's called a bear market. Bear market, they say it's a bear market because bears claw down and the market is going down. So it's like, yeah, you can make some money off of here because it's like, let's just say Apple drops 5%. Cool, you can buy Apple because it's most inevitably going to go right back up. But at the same time, <clears throat> it's going down. It could go down further. It could like totally just bottom out. And so while you bought Apple when it was dropped in 5%, you it it's still more than, you know, if, if it, say, dropped 20% the next day. So it's, I don't want to get into it right now because I'll, I'll talk your head off about trading, but <clears throat> buy a little bit at a time. And then over time, just, you know, monitor it. And, and you know, if, it, if it's going down further, cool, then you buy a little bit more, a little bit more, but don't throw all your bread at it right now like so my question is um the cdc has been known to be questionable at times even though mm -hmm. like there are authority on infectious diseases and all that um from a personal standpoint how do you feel about the coronavirus like in your daily life does it affect you like or are you kind of like yeah like in <laughs> I don't want to say I feel impervious to, to these things because like all the inoculations and, and and stuff that we've been shot full of when we were in the Air Force. But mm -hmm. um, I'm not big on vaccines. And I, I want to think like if you take care of your body, you wash your hands and, you know, like you be healthy and active, you, you can get over these natural viruses where there is speculation that this thing is man-made that it's been engineered designed yeah. that's what i'm like hmm and um has it affected me not yet like 
I, I anticipated the market was going to go down. Like in 2020, there's, they say we're long overdue for recession. So I'm like, okay, that's to be expected. But as far as like any lingering fears, I haven't feared in years. But uh, any inconveniences, I really haven't. I haven't noticed. What about you? Yeah, I'm kind of on the same page. Like, I think you and I discussed this. Like, we're monitoring, but we're not panicking. Mm -hmm. So we're just looking at the situation like, all right. I mean, um, and I also think, you know, let's be honest, media tends to sens sensationalize things. And, and you're absolutely right. And I do believe, like I said, that's no better way to monetize that cure. When you're hyping it up like, oh my God, the walking dead, they're everywhere. Yeah. Like, you need to get this coronavirus cure. How much is it? Well, you gotta sell your firstborn child if you're broke. But if you're wealthy, it's only like, you know, a couple million. Yeah, yeah. so. Um, uh, just going on daily life, just being more, a little more conscious of washing hands, which I'm pretty good at anyway. Um, mm -hmm. just, I had a little cold, but nothing. It's normal shit because the temperature in Orlando has been crazy. So it's been like hot and cold, different every day, almost in the same day. And that day. is pretty wild. I've noticed yeah. some abnormal temperature in New Jersey as well. Like I'm talking about middle of february in this film i'm like okay rocking the spring coat not even rocking the coat rocking the sweater on the east coast yeah and um the world is really strange right now we got plagues and abnormal weather like so much going on man yeah that's true and to i've kind of seen like i'll just go on a quick sidebar with the weather mm -hmm. weather is cyclical through generations and eras but I'm sure we contribute to global warming as well. So that's an opinion from I'll, both sides. I'll take it a step further. Like, okay. I, I'm, I'm confident we, we, we do contribute to global warming. How much, who could say at this point, we don't have the data. And I think that's one of the, the initiatives my administration would like to do is get some data we can agree on. But going down conspiracy alley, Again, I, I do believe we have the capability to tinker with the weather. Referring to, uh, are you familiar with HARP? Yeah. And I believe it's like Aurora High Altitude. It's a bunch of, pretty much a bunch of antennas where they shoot stuff into the air and they can manipulate clouds and quite possibly even trigger earthquakes and hurricanes. Yeah. But um, I think we're getting to that point. And I mentioned in about type civilizations. Whereas like one civilization is where uh, humanity can, can get the power from a uh, from the planet, you know, from the hurricanes, from the sun and all that good stuff. I'm sorry, from from everything that's on Earth. But then, you know, when you go a step further, it's about getting all the energy from uh, from the star and then ultimately from the galaxy. But part of harnessing all the energy from from the Earth is learning how to manipulate and control the elements because when you think about a hurricane it moves in a it's like a giant twister imagine yeah. if you could harness wind power from that yeah how much power you, you could you know you could harness and unfortunately it seems we're in that process of, of harnessing that but uh parameters are off and we're or, i don't know again i'm a conspiracy nut don't mind me <laughs> <laughs> All right, what else, what else we would talk about? 
Yeah, man. I don't know. Like, I guess um, we hit that. You want to hit on the Negro Leagues? Yeah, man. So my shirt, as y'all saw earlier, basically black folks had their own baseball league. And this occurred. I got some facts here really quickly. It ended in 1948 because of integration. Mm-hmm. Dickie Robinson to the Dodgers, et cetera, et cetera. Googles, do your Googles, see the history. I'm just going to do a quick rundown. Um, at the height of it, you had 3 million fans turn out in 1942 for a championship. So mm-hmm. considering you had Beijing basically major league baseball like at the same time to have three million fans at the negro leagues watching that that's pretty impressive um two of the founders were rube foster who is also a pitcher in the first negro leagues in 1903 who won with the cuban ex-giants versus the let me see where they're at it's pretty cool history versus the philadelphia giants (laughs) haha philly shout out um then the other founder, I would say contributor, financier, is Gus Greenlee. He's a little more underground, so okay. he crowdsourced his money from illegal really? gambling operations known as the numbers, which is kind of like a lottery, underground yeah. lottery that yeah, folks back, back in the day. Um, let's see. And he was on the Pittsburgh Crawfords. That's another legal uh, Negro team. Let's see. Um, the reason why it kind of dissolved was because of the Great Depression. We had two world wars, war, world wars during that yeah. time, and then integration. So with those combination of elements, that's why it disintegrated. So um, do you think, what do you think was the biggest reason? Integration? Because I mean, I imagine there, there's a way to keep it going during the, the Great Depression and, and even the World Wars. But it's like, when you're thinking when... Because I imagine integration was was still pretty tough. Like, they were only taking, like, the toughest, like, the, the, the best of the best Black athletes, you know, in. So there were still, I imagine there's still a chunk of athletes who were not getting into, uh, what is it, the M Major League Baseball? Oh, yeah. So I think it was I, called the back then it was called like the National League per okay. se. That's what they went by. But to answer your question, based on what I was reading, that's the key of why integration worked so well against the Negro Leagues is because they took the best and brightest talent from the Negro. So if you take that, you take the star power, the fans are not really coming to see like middle tier, low tier, like you took the stars. Well wouldn't from the basically Negro each and I hate to say, like, well, use it as a league to bring up, you know, black stars, mm-hmm. you know, but ultimately they're going to be taken, you know, to to the National League. Yeah, I, I would say, I just say it's a perfect combination through the time period that it was going. You had both world wars, then you had the Great Depression. Like, that's a perfect storm of distraction and uh mitigating factors like to take away the talent and take away the league the museum is located in kansas city missouri it's been open since 1990 it's still going um i I want to throw another question at you okay go ahead like i suppose it's a two-pronged question like Mm -hmm. 
obviously uh, there are a lot of African Americans in, in in sports, and are not too so not too sure about baseball. I don't really I don't really follow. But like, do you think there is a the representation is is good? And how do you think a Negro League would do to that in in America? Um, I think because of the because of it dissolving took mm-hmm. away from the what it could have been domination wise compared to the NBA NFL. Uh, the, yeah, those two leagues we tend to dominate population wise, percentage wise. Mm-hmm. I think if we and it's weird because they all kind of follow the same pattern. Like we all we had. Basically, the ABA, which is basically a bunch of black players, and the NBA absorbed them. And then NFL, I don't think they had their own football teams, though. So, but we were kept out of National League football. So, I don't know. It's very tricky. But yeah, I, I, I think- asked because it's like, while, you know, again, people dominate the NBA and even the NFL, it's like, there are still a lot of great players. And the thing is that professional sports yeah. jobs are limited. <laughs> let's let's be real, they're they're limited. You know, not everyone who wants to be in the NFL can can be in the NFL. So I think um, I don't know, another league for baseball, you know, exclusively for, for black players, I think that would that would be great. What do you think? Because I have another question for you too. Um I think, let's see, hold on. I want to answer that one part of the question you asked about black players in the major league. Um, It's looked like it's saying about never went over 19% or 27%. I'm I'm just doing a quick research on this part because you asked that question. Um, basically, baseball is kind of expensive. It's it's a very skilled sport to where it takes a lot of practice. It does. Um, and I, I suppose it's like yeah. So for, it's not readily available in um <laughs> in the city. Okay, right? so, need a lot of space to to play the game. Yeah, you're right. Interesting. This is. Let's see. Hold on. This is an article from 2013. I'm trying to find something a little closer to now, but I'll just give you these numbers real quick. It's like 8.5%. In 2013, of black American baseball players. 2013 is 8.5%? It's not very high. So I'm pretty sure it's a little lower than that in 2020. Now. Uh, Go ahead. What else did you want to ask? No, I'm just thinking. Now, if you had the league, oh, if we had it, would it be racist? If we had the league, what? And because you can't exclude other races. Um. So, are you saying if we had it present day? Yeah. Again, like I said, you couldn't exclude other races. However. The thing is, unfortunately, black people are not as interested in baseball. 
quite frankly. I th- yeah, I think you're right. I think that's what it because it's a long. Because I'm, I'm not I really don't care about baseball. I watch Yankee games on the time, but it's like... yeah, like I'm I'm a casual baseball fan. I admit Yankees because born in the Bronx, that's yeah. where my this is. But um, I'm very casual. I think what they could do, like the XFL, which is trying their second hand again to capture an audience for football, you would have to make it appealing. Like I would say, you would have to be very innovative like um you would have to have it timed like maybe have games only last 90 minutes if you could do that i'm pretty sure you can get a lot of people to watch baseball um yeah, yeah they gotta reduce that <laughs> I, if they, they can kind of capture the soccer vibe which has grown rapidly in america if they can kind of capture that i think it can be successful and they definitely would have to start small, but major black cities, which would be like DC, mm-hmm. um, Atlanta, like just hubs like LA. I could see it possibly popping off, but it, it'll be very small. Um, I think if it was still around along with the major league, mm-hmm. it'd be different. It'd have been a different story. I think right. it'd have been it'd have been pretty interesting to see that. I think it'd have been dope. I think it'd have been a lot more popular around for black americans and um so i was gonna name off a few stars real quick um i had to research them but it's really cool i just found a few names i've never heard of and a couple i have heard of so you got josh gibson satchel page john henry lloyd i like these names too smoky joe williams monty irving roy campanella Frankie Grant, no, Frank Grant, I'm sorry, and Bud Fowler. Those are some like stars from the Negro Leagues. Okay. Um, another thing, little, another little tidbit is uh, it pretty much started after the Civil Civil War. I guess blacks were playing baseball um, after slavery and stuff. I know it kind of sounds jacked up, but um, <laughs> it was like one of their pastimes. So they were everybody's pastime at that time. Yeah, so they were rejected in in 1867 by what was kind of the start of the Major League Baseball League. So they were rejected then because they were trying to play then. So then they were also rejected in 1876 by the National League. And this is the irony of this. This made me laugh. So they all had a gentleman's agreement to keep blacks out of the Baseball League. Like, what kind of gentleman shit is that to keep people out? That's not no gentleman shit. Yeah, that's pretty stupid. So, yeah. But that's like an overview of the Negro Leagues. Um, My grandpa is very into that. He said he played with some of those guys, um, but he he had a family move to New York, the Bronx. Well, no, Brooklyn first. He moved to Brooklyn. Had my mom and all that good stuff. So... And he was also Golden Gloves, too. My grandpa is pretty yeah, fascinating. So he can throw them hands, huh? Yeah, man. Grandpa was a legend, man. I love my grandpa. Oh, Golden love Gloves him. is a really tough... Uh, yeah. That would be a great boxer to, to get a pair yeah. of He was, I think, a, pitch, a pitcher. That was his position. So um, he's really into baseball, my grandpa. So it, really? that demographic tends to be older white men. And maybe older black men and then latinos tend to like baseball a lot too they're pretty much the draw of baseball now to be honest yeah so here they got a all those... train camp in the dominican republic 
Asians too, actually. Korean, Japanese, they're really good too. They love baseball just as much. So it's pretty fascinating to see the demographic shift. Sure. Um, so yeah. that's all I got for the Negro Leagues. That was a very great presentation, man. Very good uh, representing uh, the OGs. But yeah, can you pull up your uh, your IG for um. You sent me a video mm-hmm. where it's a. Uh, I guess it has some a child being arrested from school, and that really uh. I think it's on the. Oh, you you're at you're telling me or you're asking me to resend it. Which one? Nah, are you nah, I, I'll resend it. Maybe I can resend it. I was asking you to because we're gonna do some provide some commentary. Okay. So do you have it on yours, or do you want me to send it back to you? Uh, I send it to you so it's fresh. I just said it. All right. So what we're gonna do? We'll put this uh, video up over while we're doing providing a little commentary. But it was a little uh, made me. Uh, I didn't believe it at first. I thought it was it was fake, <laughs> and then uh, you're gonna go with uh, what you say. Yeah. Ah, uh, cause you're using your phone. You ain't gonna get it. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, but can you do both? Can you watch it while you record on here? Yeah, I'm just doing it from right here. So you want to roll this or what? Yeah, yeah, just roll it. Just roll All right, it. So she's crying and the cop yeah. is cuffing her like I don't really know what's uh what to make of this. And I get that kids can be disrupting classes and stuff like that, but like legal action, sending men with guns and handcuffs and, and booking them, that's a bit that's a bit much. And this is happening in your great state. And you're in yeah. your city, as a matter of fact. Yeah, they're pretty pissed off, actually. Um, I think they're seeking li- uh, legal action. Um, but this is not the first case. I think it's like two other cases they arrested, like six or seven years old. That is nuts. So I never really seen something or, or heard of this a case like this in my life, man. Bro, Florida, like, I love it here, but they do some really jacked up stuff here. So, uh, and I gotta think, and perhaps I guess it's a question for educators, but like, surely there must be some sort of administrative action that you can do before it escalates to this. Well, I heard. I like, that's traumatizing. I heard they the ones that called the cops on the kids. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. They they gotta come up with some action beyond summoning uh, law enforcement on 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 a six year old. Like, you mean to tell me that you cannot? How do you say? You, you don't have enough authority to to uh, you know to not. What's the word I'm looking for? The discipline? A, a, a six-year-old? Like, that's crazy. Not only, not only that, I think I was reading they were trying to charge a kid with a felony at six. What? What type yeah, of thing? Yeah, so this goes to the school to prison pipeline. When, they, when you hear that narrative, 
That's what we're talking about. That's an example. Well, of what I, I, I'm really missing. Maybe I'm missing some additional details. But what could they possibly have charged a six-year-old? What type of felony? Because was she waving around some scissors, like like battery or something? Stab somebody or something? Like, <sighs> bro, I was so frustrated when I she seen that battery. I think it was battery. I'm not sure because it it's been and multiple cases. Another kid. No, just a temper tantrum. So I'm missing the details then, because I. Uh, let me let me see, because it's I'm trying to see. Well, see, they got one. See, that was from 2019, so I don't know if that was an old video or a current video. Now I'm starting to look. Yeah, she just had a temper tantrum. The cop was fired. Yeah, this is from September 2019. So I don't know if this is a new case or what was going on. That's pretty well. None, even though it's, it's old news, I suppose it's new news to me because I didn't know such. I didn't know this was a thing. I didn't know that 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 happened. Yeah, it's yeah, charge with battery. Wow. wow. That um that is a bit of a concern on uh, you know that in my mind, but again I, I wanna speak with some educators and yeah. try to see like what can we implement in the school system, like remove the child from, from the class. You know, yeah. and have her isolated. You know, where she can be. But to, to do that is to take them to the police station. That's a bit asinine. I don't see why you wouldn't have like a school staff psychologist to, you know, caseworker or something like to calm the child down and figure out what triggered the temper tantrum like what happened what extenuating circumstances caused that kids don't do that for no reason i like the extenuating circumstances well you know you know i bring out the scrabble words every now and then yeah you know? no doubt, man. but yeah that's uh, what we wanted to share with with you because this is happening in america this isn't yeah. china or you know or russia this is right here in the u.s like and in light of in light of Black History Month to our international audience, when we tell you like when this is the stuff they don't probably tell you in your country that happens, you probably see like just entertainment, movies, fashion, like, like all that stuff. Like this is real stuff that happens to American citizens. Let's get this clear. Mm-hmm. Black Americans are American citizens. We are not immigrants. Let's just make that very clear so people know the difference we are getting treated like this at six years old and this is very pgg rated compared to other stories i'm pretty sure we can dig up that are very like explicit and violent in nature so just to highlight this just to show you guys like this is not a game out here it's really not um we got a lot to cover, so... Um, okay, go for it. What are we going to talk about next? Let's just jump into... Um, we want to discuss a bit on Black activism. 
Okay. And I want to give a brief history of the Black Panther Party. And I know you have some things that you want to cover as well. I also want to discuss, um, how do you say, Black identity extremists and uh, that umbrella that's being used to uh, pretty much classify all activists as terrorists. But yeah, we're going to get into some, uh, we're going to get into it. So, man, Black Panther parties, yeah, I really consider them like founding fathers, not really, or like OGs in, in the real, in the activist game because, and, and I'm sure there are countless other ones before them, as, as they mentioned, um, QEP, you know, he, he was it. And Bobby Seale, they were in other groups before, but they, they felt like those groups weren't really representing the, the needs of the people. So they formed their own party. It was the Black Panthers Self-Defense Group, and uh, it was 1966 in October. So um, I really learning about the Black Panthers was really cool. One, because I learned that they were doing armed patrols that followed police and they wanted to make sure that citizens were being treated correctly and you know that their rights were, were being adhered to but like this is the CAA now the CAA I didn't want them to be armed I, I just wanted them to you know to do exactly what the Black Panthers were doing riding <laughs> if they got to ride behind the police so did you know like but just making sure that someone is there when there's 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 arrest and, and preventing that police brutality so yeah, the Black Panthers did that. They rode, they rode armed, and they followed more or less patrols, and they made sure that they weren't uh, brutalizing uh, people in, in the community. But because they were armed, that brought up a lot of like. There's a lot of static. You got organized black men with guns, you know, and they often ran butted heads with the police, and they simply stated like. They stated the laws. They're like they stated the you know, of course, the Godfather of laws, the Constitution, Second Amendment. But then they also stated local laws that permitted them to uh, openly carry firearms. And wow, man, that's that is power. That was a lot of power that they're accumulating. So in 1967, they carried loaded arms in the California State Assembly the protest legislation that would make carrying loaded firearms illegal. So whenever you hear, we hear a lot of protests about the second amendment and you know, generally, generally people tend to think of alt-right groups or militias and you know, or, or, or generally they, they, they think of, of white people when they, they're talking about protesting the second amendment for i mean for the for the second amendment and it's like the black panthers made such a bold move in support of the second amendment it's not just for black people but for everybody and that got national headlines and i was like just learning about that was like wow it's very mind-blowing um uh, just a interject real quick didn't they change laws just because of that incident right the Munford Act or something in 1967 I I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to affirm that you may be right I, I just don't have that that data on me okay 
But uh, again, I encourage our, our, our viewers to, to dig that up and see. But I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I really wouldn't be surprised because if you look how liberal uh, the restrictions in California today on gun laws, it's um, it could very well be a result of that. So um, that's that was admirable to me. Like, again, it's not wasn't just a black thing. They did it for for everyone's rights as, as well. So, um, so six members were arrested because of that. I told you it made national headlines and, you know, they were getting more recognition. And I don't want to say demands because that makes it seem like a terrorist group, but what they wanted were like full employment for black people, decent housing for black people and to police brutality. And it seems to be something that we're still wrestling with today. And more education for African-Americans, and of course, justice in the courts. Mm-hmm. That's a, a lot, and it seems like they, they made some progress, but it's like, we still got a lot of work to do. So in 1968, they were represented in NY, Chi-Town, Boston, Dallas, LA, and DC. So the numbers were as high as 10,000 at their peak in 1969. Wow. They had a very influential, uh, newspaper and it was edited by Eldridge Cleaver mm-hmm. and you know this was like the social media in the 1960s you know like we're on Instagram we're on Facebook like we're spreading and sharing ideas like this newspaper was like so instrumental to, to spreading the ideas and awareness of the group so they had a free breakfast program that fed over 20,000 children during 1960. Say again. I said I was a part of that in South Carolina. I never knew what that was, but I know I participated in it. The free breakfast on the weekends during the summer. Well, this one particular one was sponsored by the Black Panthers from 1968 to 69. But who sponsored the one that you attended? I have no idea, but to know that that concept that they came back, they came up with then was still in like the 90s was pretty impressive. Like they were still doing that in South Carolina. That's all I was trying to uh, explain. Uh, no, no doubt. And we got to keep those concepts alive too. Like a lot of the things that these uh, organizations did was, was very admirable. So they found ways to provide classes on economics and politics. Wow. Uh, provided medical care and of course self-defense and, and first aid but these are things that you know they are providing for the people and the feds were not having it it's like it's one thing where you know you have black people with guns and they're going around killing each other but when they're organizing and, and up, it's that evidently is perceived as a threat so i they perceived the party as a paramilitary threat. And paramilitary means like, for all you civilians, it's like, like the military. Like you have rank structures like the military. You have arms like the military. You're like, you're like a, a military unit out, but you're not, you're a civilian. That's paramilitary. So they said they're a paramilitary threat. They classified them as black nationalist hate group. J racist Hoover. I mean, J. Edgar Hoover even declared them as the greatest threat to the internal security of America. And that kind of pisses me off because it's like, whereas you have established hate groups 
that in their doctrine, they hate all black people, Jewish people, whatever. It's in their doctrine, it's in their literature. This is what they preach openly. And that's clearly a hate group. But when you have like black people coming together and like trying to one, stop police brutality and, and you know, giving free lunches, I mean, free breakfasts, this is a hate group. So you you already know um right there Fez weren't having that so of course this brought the full wrath of the Federal Bureau and they were targeted and the numbers began to diminish so by like the late 80s the numbers dropped from 10,000 to like 28 solid members so um that's pretty much what I got in a nutshell you please feel free to reinforce Oh, my, my uh, very skinny summary. Nah, that's cool. Like we we try to scan them. We want everybody to do your research and really dig into dig into this. Especially the younger generation, you need to know your history. Trust me, we learn. We've learned more Black history or history in general as adults than I did in school. I could be honest and say that. Like me and Cam are pretty transparent about if we don't know something or we're learning just like you guys are. So a lot of stuff I don't know. <laughs> So I, I want to bounce a question at you, though. Okay, go ahead. So it's like, how do we legally fund an organization like this? And then it's another prompt question. Because um, this would be my proposal for the gangs to convert the, to convert to lawful militias or, or groups like this. Because here's the thing. Considering drugs would be legal and regulated by the FDA under my administration, they would need an alternate way to uh, to fund their organization. So, but the role I could see for such organizations in, in the future is to convert to lawful militias. Like, but at the same time, how would they finance something like that? Oh man. Um... I don't know if people seen the show by Killer Mike on Netflix. Oh, I cannot think of the name of it right now. Hold on. Let me Google that because they have an example of exactly what you're talking about. Okay. Cripple Cola. Nothing else can compete. Fuck around with this joint here, you might see a goddamn little Ethiopian goddamn way over there goddamn sipping on this motherfucker goddamn in the Middle East or something. Cripple Cola. Trigger warning by Killer Mike. It's on Netflix. They had Bloods and Crips create a soda and sell it. Really? Atlanta. And it's profitable. I don't know if it's still going, but that's an example of what they did to have free enterprise, legal well, enterprise. Here's the thing. I, I, well, I find that admirable mm -hmm. until they convert from a criminal organization to a, a mainstream militia. That soda is funding isn't. I don't want to say terrorism, but it's funding criminal operations. If a if well, a chunk of that money is going back to to the gangs. But no, I mean it's. What it's was the word? The profits. Yeah, that's what I was going to explain. Like the oh, profits, right. if I remember correctly, we're going to community-based activities like school drives and feeding people, some stuff like that. So, to answer your question. Basically, you would have to turn these games into like a LLC or 
community organized. You got to kind of make it all encompassing. Crips LLC, Blood Incorporated. But hold up, let me put this in perspective. And this is something Killer Mike brought up. Shout out to him. I don't always agree with him, but he always makes some good points. Mm -hmm. Hell's Angels does it. So watch. You do, do make a, a very valid point. But at the same time, if um, they got to keep that money clean, like find, make sure it does not go back. Because then you're, you're just opening up the, the doors for all types of investigations. So it's like, but staying on the subject is that would, I would totally like to see something like that. But mm -hmm. I mean, like, um, I don't know. We that, if you have organizations like that are supporting and uplifting the community rather than breaking them down, like you know, looking out for one another. Then I, I think this is a possibility for improvement. Did I lose you, CJ? Yeah, no, we're good. I got a call, so you're good. Oh, okay. Um, what I was gonna say was while you were talking. I believe this is the climate to do it in because a lot of black Americans are being more politically aware, socially aware, yes. financially aware. I think this is the era. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen now or after us. Well, so, we got to lay the ground. We got to lay that foundation and, and even just provoke people's thoughts to think about it. Um, I was going to touch on the, uh, what's the name of it? Um, Black Panther movement. My aunt, rest in peace, my aunt Tish, she was a Black Panther. Um, she is active. Another thing that we need to mention is women were the backbone and actually out front in the Black Panther movement. That's a little known fact. They were very strong. They knew arms very well. They did most of the teaching, the nurturing. So I want to give a shout out to those Black women who held down that movement. Um, what was the other thing I was going to mention? Uh, the interesting thing about J. Edgar Hoover is he focused on this. But what, huh? I said, oh, that's his name? Yeah. So he focused on the Black Panther Party, which wasn't a terrorist group yeah. or a hate group, but denied knowledge of the Italian Mafia. Mm. So juxtapose that. How interesting is that? So just to throw that to oh, I mean, it makes sense. Um, of course they had dirt on him too. So there you go. Uh, I've had dirt on um, blackmailing. Yeah, I can see that as well. Uh, it was something else when you were talking. I had the thought. I lost it now. Now wasn't Tupac's mom a Black Panther as well? Yes, Afeni Shakur, I believe is her name. Uh, oh, another thing. I was gonna ask you a question. Okay. You only mentioned 10,000 members. Imagine if all Black Americans were in it. How strong would that organization be now? Okay. Um, if they weren't disbanded. It would be, if you're talking about as far as political power? Yeah. The Democrats, whoever, would have to have, they'd have to have a Black agenda for, uh, for that. Um, here's the thing, though. Remember we talked about revolts and slavery and all that good stuff? Mm -hmm. And you're talking about, one, you're talking about just in general. 
people want freedom, but they don't want to. They don't want to pay the price for it. They don't want to fight for it. So it's like to rally those numbers would be very difficult. And then here's something that would be inexorable. Like when you do rally, if you did manage to rally those numbers, you mentioned this: the traders, the people who would be sabotaging it from within. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm not saying it's impossible; it'll just be difficult. But to answer your question, if the numbers did reach, you you found a way to define uniformity, you know, because there's even though we're we're one black people, we have a million different ways to divide ourselves. You know, Christians and Muslims and light skin and dark skin and you know, old and 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 what have you. But it's like, yeah, if you found a way to do it, you can make a lot of change. Man, I just like what. But, blue- hold on, I do want to. There's another <laughs> factor that you guys line into. <laughs> they were the the whole black identity experience. Okay. <sighs> so. You you seen how it, ten thousand people were targeted by the Federal Bureau of Investigation, right? They used the full flex of their muscle to reduce the organization to twenty eight people. So you're talking about hundreds, millions, hundreds of millions. Like you'd have more than just the Fed, the FBI to be concerned about, and it would be a lot of friction. But I don't know. It's something we can we can only speculate. On. I I think because all right, I'm looking at it from this standpoint. Like most ethnic groups, I'm trying to get away from saying minorities because that's a catch-all political term. It's we'll not specific. Um, most ethnic groups, immigrant groups in the in the United States have associations, right? That cover group group economics they help with that legal uh visas uh schools medical treatment all this right so i'm looking at the black panther party in terms of that if black americans had that current day imagine the different landscape of america today for black americans i think it would, I, I see your vision now and it would be a bigger backbone more support Mm-hmm. Um, out of room for growth. And yeah, that would be really cool. Again, and then I, I, I asked you the question before, and I don't want to say that the Crips and the Bloods would take the sole responsibility of that, but how could you fund something like that? Because ultimately, yeah, but, you're doing- oh, with with industry, so furniture making, like industry things we need. That's how you fund it. You're giving people jobs in these communities. And the militia would be trained by military, obviously. We need them, like, actually trained. <laughs> um, so, so we would have... a collective pool of industries would mm-hmm. pool money to train the militias to buy weapons and, and, and resources and things of that nature. Because the scale that you're referring to, you need a lot of money. Even doing it supporting 10,000 men. You know? No. Well, yes, but... When you ask what would we use the money for is jobs, economics, manufacturing, like technology. That's what we use the money to bring money into these organizations and these communities. No, I'm just saying, say the, the Black Panther Party was going to rise again and, okay. and, and have 
as, as you mentioned, support an entire nation. Like, how do you fund it, that? You saw my um, jobs from furniture making and all that. Is yeah. A piece of that is going to go, like, a piece Invested. of black businesses going to support one organization? Yeah, it would take all of us, you know, everybody have dues and stuff like that. Like most organizations or memberships, every black family would have dues, like set up some kind of trust nationwide where everybody has access to it with unique, I don't know, password encryption, blockchain, all that. I already, and like, okay, we have X amount of dollars, like who, how do you prioritize? things of that nature. I'm not saying it can be done, it's just things to consider. Um, you I, don't... But we're not going to solve that. We're not going to solve that here now because we still have quite a few things. Um, okay. Over. Go for it. So, like, we hit the... We hit Black Panther Party. Um, I suppose I just want to high level just disclose what... Um, how do you say? Black identity extremism is. Okay. And, and what are the warnings of it? Now, I suppose... How about this? You um, let's talk about the. You should go forth with yours, and then I'll wrap it up because I pretty much it ties into all the other groups. Um, I also mentioned uh, COINTELPRO because this all ties together. Okay. So with the black extremists, uh, identity extremists, and all that. Um, the organization that's probably least known. I was looking for something a little more obscure, something that people don't know about. Okay. So I wanted to focus on the ladies once again. It's called the National Council of Negro Women. It was started by Mary McLeod Bethune in 1935. It was a nonprofit organization for opportunities, quality of life for black women and families in their communities. So that was started for women and to empower women. So I want to give a shout out salute to the women and all these movements, they do get overlooked when talking about all these things. And naturally, I do find myself having to like consciously think about it because we're male. So we're looking at it from a male lens. So I, I wanted to highlight these ladies. And then the last but not least, current day is Black Lives Matter, which started in 2013 off a of hashtag, ironically, Black Twitter shout out. Interesting. Um, over the Trayvon Martin killing here in Orlando area, Orlando metro area, which is Sanford, which is 15 minutes away from where I live right now. Um, my husband knows the exact spot, kind of where it happened. I forgot where it is. He's. You know, I forgot he, that um that that occurred. I had I would wanted to see that when I was in Orlando. But yeah, man, that's um wow. Okay, so this group basically is an activist movement. Mm -hmm. Uh, against violent, systematic racism towards black people. And three black women started it. So salute to them as well. Um, so yeah. And then I want to bring up something why these black power movements and activists are uh, discouraged from building up. Why black people don't do these things is because of COINTELPRO. It was a program started in 1956 to allegedly 1971. I did that in air quotes because I'm sure they still do it, just more refined and technologically advanced. The report identified black identity extremists as a threat to law enforcement. 
Critics say the report is eerily similar to the FBI's 20th century counterintelligence program. COINTELPRO was an FBI operation established in the 50s by J. Edgar Hoover to target African Americans who were fighting for justice and equality. He targeted Dr. King, he targeted Malcolm X, and over 80% of the targets of COINTELPRO were members of the Black Panther Party. At the height of COINTELPRO, activists and community organizers were targeted. These include current Congressional Black Caucus members like John Lewis, Bobby Rush, Emanuel Cleaver, and Barbara Lee. So what is this? Started by the FBI. COINTELPRO stands for Counterintelligence Program. So basically, they funded illegal projects conducted by the FBI mm -hmm. aimed at surveilling, infiltrating, discrediting, and disrupting American political organizations. So is that why our views are so low? Those are <laughs> the guys who are bugging my, uh, put the bugs in my, in my light? Well, we already know podcast-wise, we got people from Virginia listening, but we don't know who the hell's listening, so... Well, special shout out to our, uh, you know, our, our, our secret admirers. You know yeah. it. We love, love it. you guys. We appreciate you <laughs> man. You know what I'm saying? True indeed. True indeed. Ain't no hate in my heart. But um, yeah, that's very interesting. So yo, please give us some more information on that, man. Um, basically, I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna go ahead and dive into my Malcolm X because it's all kind of tied together, really okay. quick. So Malcolm X is one of my black American historical figures. That's my favorite. And he's basically American Muslim minister. I'm just doing like a high level overview. Mm -hmm. um, two of his quotes that I really like is more, but I just picked two. The future belongs to those who prepare for it today. Mm -hmm. And this other one, I kind of combined it. It's a little longer, but I combined it. Nobody can give you freedom, equality, or justice, or anything. If you're a man, you take it. Ooh, so That's profound. I like that. Yeah, I'm with that. Um, what I like about his story is he was an ex-felon, but he transformed his life into being a legendary figure in American and world history. Let's yes, keep indeed. That. And what I also like is he's a great orator. He is charismatic. Yes. He is very intelligent. He was a family man. This is really cool. Like, he's a family man doing all this. Um, he was a leader and a gentleman. He had manners. Like, I loved how he just carried himself. I and, like watching some of his old interviews on yeah. Black and White songs. It's like, he was so witty in his comebacks. And at the same time, he, he, he possessed a, a great degree of tact with the way that he handled the situation. And then his voice overall was like, I couldn't, I'm like, yo, is this Denzel Washington? Or <laughs> like, he was just so smooth, like butter on it. And um, I, I, I truly admire Malcolm X. Me too. Really, uh, um, what I was going to say was I watched a documentary. It's six episodes on Netflix, Who Killed, Who Assassinated Malcolm X. And it was very sad for me because, because of COINTELPRO, and there's a New York uh, Secret Service called Bossy, um, Bureau of Special Investigations or something like that. It's basically a mini CIA in the NYPD back in that time. Um, 
<laughs> right, right. People don't know this. Do your Googles. Wow. It's crazy. Everybody check that out on Netflix. It's really good. It's 30 minutes per episode, but it explains so much. But what I got from it was COINTELPRO between the FBI. You got to think this dude was under surveillance like since prison, since he got out of prison. Mm -hmm. So he did 10 years in prison. He's been under surveillance. I think it was like 1952 to like his death, which is I think 1964, 64, somewhere in there, 63. In February, actually, his uh his death was not too long ago, the anniversary. So they tracked everything. And what COINTELPRO did, which was brilliant, because they couldn't directly assassinate him, even though they attempted to. But what how did, they, how did they attempt to assassinate him? Poisoning, all this kind of things like this, oh. as he was moving through the world. See, this is another thing why I like him because he was global. Even though he's a Black American, he was global. And he made, uh, he made the pilgrimage to Mecca, and I believe he had to meet with a council. Yeah. At first, because they weren't they were allowed to light a billboard. I could see them uh, being subdued by his charm and, and, and charisma. But and what was it? Yeah, they're tracking him around the globe. He said. Yeah, what was interesting is the alliances he was starting to make made America very uncomfortable. He was With getting after the Middle East. They don't like that. So they was like, yo, he got to go. Like Jake Edgar Hoover said he got to go. But then the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, mm -hmm. they had beef. You know what I'm saying? So COINTELPRO, FBI, took advantage of that and did what you said, discredit. They'll throw out information here and there, discredit you, expose vices that you have or relationships that you're doing. So when Malcolm left the organization, that's when things got really crazy for him. Um, but I don't want to get too much away. I'm just giving a quick overview. Yeah. But that's my favorite historical uh, figure for me personally. I, I want to, when it comes to the civil rights movement, I would say I, I agree with you on, on that. And um, it's there is a, a degree of angry anger, like when you when you're reading about everything, mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, our people have endured historically and even today. But like when I read about and it, again when I I watch Malcolm X's uh, interviews, hear him talk, hear his quotes, it is so inspiring and. Um, makes me want to be uh, just as strong today. Is it fair to say as a generality and as a, a succinct way to put it that you believe in segregation of the races? No, segregation is that which is, Mr. Muhammad says that segregation is that which is forced upon inferiors by superiors. Separation is done voluntarily by two equals. You never refer to the Oriental community in which Orientals live exclusively as a segregated community because they live there voluntarily. They, uh, everything there is controlled by them the economy, the politics, the civic organizations, but the Negro community is referred to as a segregated community because Negroes are forced to live in that community uh, contrary to their will, and they don't control the businesses of their community. They don't control the politics of their community, nor their social life. White man doesn't even come into my attitude. Uh, he, Mr. Muhammad teaches us to love our own kind and let the white man take care of himself. For a white man today, sir, after uh, kidnapping millions of black people from Africa, stripping them of all human characteristics and relegating them to the role of chattel or cattle or animals, commodity, merchandise that could be bought and sold at will, 
uh, and then a hundred years since the Emancipation Procl Proclamation, using every type of deceptive method to further us into slavery, uh, called second-class citizenship, I think that it would take a whole lot of nerve for white people today to ask Negroes, do they hate you? Mm-hmm. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, so you guys check that on Netflix. We'll throw, like, something in the visual for you guys. Yeah, let me see. I'll slide some clips into that. Okay. You hit Malcolm You should talk about that co-intel. So, okay, so I suppose here, I just want to speak on this term that's recently been coined and it's called black identity extremist and this is just how i'm in i'm interpreting it like black identity extremist is it's an umbrella it's like i don't want to say it's a catch-all that you can um more or less that law enforcement can use to align act black activists as terrorists and as we, we hinted at before in previous episodes about FISA courts and the Patriot Act, we're going to have to do an entire episode on that. But these greatly infringe on your uh, constitutional rights and your rights as a citizen. And um, I'm talking about they can hold you without bond. They can hold you indefinitely. You don't have a right to a lawyer. You don't have a right to uh, any outside communications when you're talking about dealing with terrorism. And that's what has me concerned. My biggest concern was when Micah S. Johnson killed five officers in Dallas. My understanding, he was a former Marine. And um, in results to the current events, there was another shooting with an African-American. He went on a rampage and took out a lot of officers. I was like, whoa. And then at the same time, I'm like, you had to have seen this coming. Like, um, you had to have seen this coming. Because when you consider how poorly um, the response to all the, the black deaths by police shooting was, you, you had to see it coming. My concern was that African-American veterans would be deemed as, uh, as high on, on the terrorist threat. And again, with this umbrella of black identity extremism, they can hit anyone with this. I want to shout out to Rakim Bolgum mm -hmm. uh, from Gorilla Mainframe. So more or less, he went to protests that were uh, protesting police brutality. The Fed started watching him from there for two years. And... Um, this is just this is just something that 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 triggered uh, triggered that, but you know we're we're getting to the age where there's facial recognition everywhere, and that's why I'm like I don't want to say it's gonna scare people to 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 not protest, but like this is this is something that that we need to to be aware of because as soon as you they can slap that label. On, on the black community as terrorists and, and what have you, then it's like, you see the aggression that's being pointed at the Muslim community, mm -hmm. like terrorists and everything like that. And everyone has that misconception about, oh, like all Muslims are terrorists and stuff. And it's like, that very same aggression could be uh, pointed at, at the black community. And hold on, I'm gonna take it a bit deeper into the rabbit hole for conspiracy theorists and stuff like that. Like, they want to knock down the projects, gentrification and, and all that stuff. 
There's no better way to do it than with a drone strike on American soil. And I could totally see that in in yeah. the future. And again, that's like my worst fear because they're the rules and, and the rules go out the window with terrorism. Like again, they don't have to have warrants. They don't have to, it's, that's what's terrifying. And um, I don't know. At the same time, I, I do believe we need to, uh, we need organizations like the Black Panthers, or if, if again, that's CC, the, the Citizens Advocate Agency, you know, to protect the rights. But um, we cannot become terrorists. So that's um, my shout out to uh, the organizations out there. But, you know, it's situations are very tense right now. And what, what's your thoughts on black identity extremists? Do you think it's it's inevitable that either way they're going to spin it? Because the guerrilla mainframe group, they weren't even participating in terrorist activities, but they still managed to to, to slap that label onto them. Yeah, um, it's just the black tax of living in America. I hate to say it, but anything we do positive comes with a price, unfortunately. And that's those are examples of what it is like even learning how to defend yourself like with firearm training and stuff like that is considered a threat when it's uh, so american that it's like breathing all this stuff is american stuff there's nothing new um it's just the fact that we're doing it mm. um i think it comes down to guilt from all the injustice over the centuries that white america has done to black america and um, yeah, guilt. The and fact that their guilt is making them aggressive towards us, making them want to uh, squash our organizations for just getting freedom for basic rights. Guilt is what pressures uh, this type of behavior. Uh, guilt, paranoia. I mean, I would these... say more of paranoia and fear. Yeah. And I yeah. think they say that uh, hatred stems from fear. It's something that they fear some sort of fear from from us that where we radiate that that makes them uh scared and i don't know man it's like i don't want to say i'm just curious and again we can do this in another episode of how a black state would really work would they be content with that be like okay you hate us fine and i can go back to africa but we will go here like would they leave us alone no <laughs> Just knowing living in America, no. Like, we got Tulsa, Black Wall Street, and those other examples to show. No, they're not going to leave us alone. Like, it's so frustrating just when we even and, talk and about it. And it, it really does because it's like we look at the history of, of Black people in America. And while it is progressive, it's, there's still issues we're facing it. I don't want to say it's a degree of hopelessness. Like we're rolling this boulder up a hill, slowly rolling this boulder up a hill. And maybe it's just all in hopes that, you know, one day our, our great 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 grandchildren can be like, finally over this shit. But yeah. I don't know, man. What else you got on the agenda, bro? I think that was it for my, uh, I guess the census. Talk about something a little more positive <laughs> with some controversy. Uh, just quick high level, as you say, sir. 
high level information for the census. It, the purpose is basically the head count of America, all yes. the population. Um, it started in 1790 and you can participate this year online, via phone or mail. And it starts March through April, I believe. Somewhere in that time, they're supposed to take all the population count. Online, is there any way that the Russians can interfere? Good question. I have no idea. Um, but I just know that you or at least North have Korea or any state that dislikes hacking and interfering with our, our government. I would have to assume, oh, yeah, this is confidential information. So just to throw that out there, say when you do it, it's confidential. Mm-hmm. Um, and this does create seasonal jobs for people being a Census Bureau uh, auditor. Yeah, whatever it is, you go house to house and like do the survey with the people. My mom did it a couple of times in South Carolina when we're living there. It's good money. Um, so I know you had a question about the citizenship. Yeah, um, I'm understanding what? there's a group of people that say sometimes you should check if you're. There's a debate whether it should be a requirement to disclose if you're a citizen. What are your thoughts on that? Hmm. Well, it's here, tricky. I'll, I'll interject. Well, you said, go ahead. Nah, it's tricky. Um, we have undocumented people here or we wouldn't have certain industries. Yes, so let's just keep it honest. Uh, and mainly agriculture and like other menial labor intensive jobs that pay next to nothing. Um, so I'm kind of torn on it because these people help with the U.S. economy, but they're not necessarily legal. So how are they contributing, say, tax-wise or whatever? It is, it's not all the way true, you know, um, but if you don't have basically some kind of social, Mm -hmm. you can't really, you're not paying taxes. So... So is there uh, another way to identify how many U.S. citizens we have? Because that, that seems to me to be the best way to identify how much U.S. citizens we have. Because I dare say there's a priority of life in America. And uh, American citizens come first. Yes, I agree with that. I think, I don't know, that immigration question does kind of bother me because they're already... Now you said it's done confidential, right? That's like, so if you check the box, no, it's not like, boom, ice kicks in your door and then like, yeah. get on the ground, get departed. <laughs> yeah, basically, like it's supposed to be confidential. When you send your information and they do the shit, like it's all supposed to be confidential. But <sighs> I yeah, think- because it's on the internet too. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they're gonna trace your IP address back to your, uh... Your residence, and then I'm just saying, like, it's confidential within reason. Like, let's put our reality caps on here. Like, okay. we're tracked by the CIA, FBI, DIA, all of them. So, just know you are being monitored. Everything you do on your cell phone, computer, oh, yeah. um, I don't know. I really struggle with that question, to be honest. Like, 
on one hand, you just really count people, but then we are counting citizens too. So do you do a separate category for people that are under special visas or whatever? Like, or I would say something like to that effect would make sense. I can't think of a scenario where you would need to know like a, a hard number of, of American citizens. Mm -hmm. But like, well, let's get into the reasons why we do the census. It's okay, to, yeah, yeah. Once you uh, let us know tomorrow. Basically, it's to disperse federal dollars to programs that we need, say healthcare, education, uh, for political reasons, for a House of Representatives. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to see like the overall. See, and I get that, but at mm -hmm. the same time, you're going to get that data when citizens are applying for that. You get what I'm saying? Or at least yeah, I, but, I'm assuming it is like that because it's like if a, someone who is not a citizen and they're trying to apply for these benefits, are they there? Are they eligible? Are they what? Are, are they, they eligible? eligible? Well, yeah, if they if yeah because it affects their neighborhood, the schools they go to, like it. Yeah, I, I was it more referring to Medicaid and and, and all these other um, things. Well, more, more than likely, they're. <sighs> It's tricky because you do got to treat everybody that comes to emergency room, but mm -hmm. I would imagine they would use cash to get their medical needs done. I don't know. I don't know what it's like to live illegally. So, but I would imagine you would find a way around it. Like it's yeah, not yeah, like so that's what I'm saying. It's like you would get information from the people who are applying for. Or, I don't know, but please continue. What other um, what other purposes? Okay. So this is what the census also means. I, I, can, I, find, I found what it is. The census provides critical data that lawmakers, business owners, teachers, and many other use to provide daily services, products, and support for you and your community. Each year, billions of dollars in federal funding go to hospitals, fire departments, schools, roads, and other resources based on census data. So that's why they need the data. The results of the census also determine the number of seats each state will have in the U.S. House of Representatives, and they're also used to draw congressional and state legislative districts. So that's why it, that's why it is um, important. Also, it's done every ten years, just so you know. So the next one is twenty thirty. Interesting. And I got that from the census website, like the government website. So people could check that out if you want information as much as they'll give you. I think um, they should have the box. Mm -hmm. I, would like to know. I think they should have the box to check the citizenship. If it is, like you said, it's confidential and there's no uh, reprisal from it, it shouldn't matter. I want to know how many people are here illegally. It's, it's intermediately or whatever is not a citizen and who are citizens. I guess I guess the interesting question is I'm curious to see what they have is the ethnicity groups hmm. because we're so rapidly because of a lot of cultural mixing and interracial and all this. How does that play out like with immigrants like? You know, your mom is, I'm just throwing out examples, she's Filipino and your dad is black. Like, mm -hmm. how does that work? You know, like as, I don't know, um, just okay. throwing that out. Like, they, how does that work? Yeah, so I don't know. 
I, I do like the digital approach. You mm -hmm. know, it makes it a lot easier to get the data in and crunch the numbers and generate reports. Mm, but um, yeah, but these are numbers I would. But I'm really curious to see. And plus, we got to keep really track. Of that, um, Go ahead. You really need that. You need that data. You need to know yeah. people's statuses and everything. I don't even see why that's debatable. Like, what are people who are against support that argument against it? I don't, I don't see the. I don't understand it. You're talking about doing the census or what? And against it's about having a, identifying your, your citizenship. Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's tricky because it's kind of a pointless question. If you're not going to do a separate census for it, in my opinion, then you shouldn't really ask it. If you're doing it, you live here. Like, you're not visiting on vacation doing the mm -hmm. census. So, like, and like you said, there are other ways to kind of track if you're a citizen or not. But it's like another thing, I suppose, like, say you did something, you implemented And I want to say like um, with the whole how they did, I think it's in India where they do like driving on alternate days. Maybe it's in China, but, like mm -hmm. cut carbon or something. But say we wanted to measure like all these cars that are in here, like what percentage of them are U U.S. citizens and what percentage of them are are not. Like I don't know, but I think we we just need that data. But you got any, uh, we have any other topics? So I think we're, I think we're gonna have to show up. Yeah, I think we knocked it all out, man. Well, that, this was pretty awesome. This was our, um, this episode is really special because one, it's, um, this is our boom, our, our, our final episode for our Black History Month mini series. But on top of that, this is the final episode of Upgrade America season one. We're getting yeah. season two, man. This is a this is very very awesome. So we on that fifty two, man. We did a year, indeed, like indeed, yeah. So we hit a because we dropped one episode every week. Sometimes we drop two episodes mm -hmm. and uh, two episodes in a week. So does that take away from us? Either way, I'm counting yeah, as a. I'm still counting this as a, the end, the season finale. Of yeah. Episode, I'm sorry, of season one. So, season two moving forward. So many great topics. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. But this um, is a, a pleasure. Yeah, it has been. Thank you for riding with us, going from our first audio <laughs> podcast on to YouTube to now. Like, wow. Um, what what should people look forward to in season two? Since season two is upon us next week, start season two. Yo, I really want to tackle this Patriot Patriot Act, these spicy courts. Um, let's bring up the list. We got quite a few on there, but it's really exciting. Uh, really exciting topics. And as I'm, you know, I'm still um campaign mode, and I do wanna. Big shout out to Hillary Clinton, you know, for noticing the, the Upgrade America podcast and saying, hmm, this wild radical candidate might be on something. I'm going to make my own <laughs> podcast too. 
Mm. Yeah, like this is the podcast is definitely a way to I don't want to say push a political agenda because I mean that's ultimately what, what we're doing, but we're, we're we're discussing it. But um, what should I say for season two that's coming up? Second Bill of Rights proposed by uh, FDR. I'm I'm really uh, excited to discuss that. We're gonna discuss five courts unions. I may have special guests coming on to discuss uh, unions. The history of Guantanamo Bay, aka Gitmo. I don't know. It's on. It's attached to Cuba. I don't know how we we, we acquired this. And so I, yeah. I want some research and find that out. Music and mind control. That's gonna be fun. I, I want to see if I can find some literature describing how the Nazis used uh, music and mind control and how I believe it's still being used today. So there's Skyward. In future tech, I should be launching my book for my third book called Skyward, and this would more or less my the moon mission of the Raw administration. Hey. But um, essentially, the the idea is to use technology to end homelessness, hunger, and substantially reduce plastic by building the largest building in the world, primarily out of plastic, clean, green, self-sustainable, that good stuff. But we we can discuss that in another episode. Um. And yeah, I suppose because this is somewhat of a, a political medium, we're going to have to address abortion, climate change, criminal justice, economic equality, education of the electoral college, foreign policy, once again, gun control, we do the best here, healthcare, immigration, the old, look, the opioid crisis, and trade. But you got yeah. any other insight on, uh, on season two? Uh, we're going to talk about some interesting topics that we're interested in. Well, I said a whole mouthful with that one, <laughs> but uh, we're going to talk about vertical farms, we're uh, talk yeah, about different types of construction for homes, which is like dome homes, shipping container homes, stuff like that, 3D printed homes. So we're going to really dig deep season two, and I'm pretty sure we're going to have some really great topics season two. I'm really excited for really it. excited as well, man. This is a very fascinating stuff that we came up with. It's been a great progression, a superb evolution, and it's only getting better. And that's why I say the greatest show on earth. Like, oh man, but everybody, thanks for hanging out with us. It is always a pleasure and, you know, we're doing this for you. So catch you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.